Welcome to episode three of the Lean Change Management podcast. I'm your host and author of Lean Change Management, Jason Little. This week's episode is a rebuttal of episode number one. Episode number one featured Paul Gibbons, who's the author of The Science of Successful Organizational Change. Paul and I chatted about the 70% stat, the dangers of pop psychology, how agile and organizational development intersect, and a variety of other topics. This episode features some people from uh, various locations around the world who listened to that podcast and had some uh, opinions they wanted to discuss on it. So we talked about a few of the things that Paul and I chatted about, and I hope you enjoy the rebuttal. I will start the episode with uh, the people who are on the call doing a quick introduction of themselves. Hope you enjoy. Phil Rogers. I'm a scrum master at NPR, National Public Radio. I'm sure that's uh, something you're, I'm guessing you're all familiar with, but uh, I work in digital media at NPR, so we, we're basically touching primarily the npr.org website, and we also make apps and, and that type of stuff. We're, uh, as far as, just to give you an idea, in terms of size, uh, digital media, in terms of overall, we're about 50 people plus another 25, 30 people in Boston doing uh, software development type of work. So that's just a quick overview for me. Thanks. Ewan, you're next. I'm Ewan O'Leary. Um, I'm an enterprise agile coach, uh, currently working with a client uh, in organizational transformation uh, in the Bay Area. Um, my client is a, a monopoly. Um, well, they pretty much have a monopoly on the secondary market for uh, event and music tickets. And um, <clears throat> the uh, the way I got into this engagement was really through an agile transformation, but it's turning out to be a lot bigger and a lot broader than, than just, you know, looking at, at process. Great. Welcome. Manjeet. I'm uh, based in Washington, D.C. I'm an enterprise agile coach. Uh, I'm currently leading a transformation for a 600-person company and uh, encountering some of the same challenges that uh, Ivan just expressed, which is it's much more broader and bigger than what either um, the executives thought what they wanted to do and what was presented to me. And uh, I'm interested in the topic mainly because I see culture being a key component of uh, success or failure of this transformation. Great. Thank you. And Ro. Hi, my name's Ro Gorell. I'm currently in Perth, Western Australia. So we're in the evening in in Perth. And I'm a change strategist and coach. And I also write um, on all things to do with coaching and creating coaching cultures. Um, I'm particularly interested in Agile um, because I've also trained in prints and MSP. And recently had something about Agile and Prince2 coming together. So um, my specialism really is sort of culture change. So that's me. And I'm in the not-so-sunny Perth today. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, So this is the the first experiment of doing a reaction to the Lean Change Management podcast series. So the first uh, episode was featuring Paul Gibbons, who unfortunately couldn't make uh, this rebuttal call but we talked about a variety of topics and some of those topics included the, uh, the dangers of pop psychology that he speaks about in his book, the science of successful organizational change. And then we moved into 
the expert trap and we talked about how people have the, the need for certainty. We debunked a little bit of that 70% failure stat that seems to be so popular in change circles. Um, and then we got into designing change programs and particularly how agile and organizational change can be combined. So for these rebuttal podcasts, what we're going to do is leave it up to the, the audience discretion. So were there certain reactions from those topics? And uh, today we're going to talk about we're going to start with the dangers of pop psychology, and then we're going to move on to agile and organizational change. So a quick summary, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first podcast, pop psychology that, that Paul defined was really the, the danger of people skimming the surface of a model. So they might see this really cool diagram that, that, that invokes a reaction that aligns with their natural belief. And they're like, oh, great, here's this awesome model that I just learned. And they don't take the time to dive deep into it and then proclaim that model as the truth. And then we have people who are going into organizations, trying to help people with change that just kind of skim the surface of some of these popular models. And then they move on to the next fad or the next pop psychology model that becomes popular. And the danger there is that you really don't get a chance to dive deep into uh, the model itself and how it affects change. So this was something that, uh, that, that Ewan seemed very passionate about before we started the call. So uh, did you want to kick us off with your reaction to that, Ewan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think this is a this confirmation bias. Uh, you guys talked a little bit about uh, errors in the thinking. Um, or cognitive biases and and this this very much is is confirmation bias going on you know once you see sort of a 10,000 hour rule uh you look at it on the surface and you basically dive in and 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 then um use that single paintbrush to paint every picture in in an organization and that seems to be the only lens and perspective that that you bring to the table about a year ago i began um an integral uh, an inquiry into uh, integral, um, integral theory, integral philosophy, uh, as it applies to to agile, working with the folks at the Agile Coaching Institute, and um, one of the things that that we are, I guess, trained to do is to take all perspectives and to recognize that each model may hold a piece of truth, but doesn't hold all truth. And it's only by uh, engaging a multiple or multitude of lenses and perspectives that you can really get um, the, a better handle on what the whole truth might be. So I guess my, my, that's my comment. My question here is, you know, how much, how much pop psychology is enough? Um, you know, what, what are we doing to make sure that we're not um, we're not out there as coaches and, and as change practitioners um, to prevent us from, from basically going in and, and damaging, frankly, organizations um, using or misusing perhaps models that are um, too simplistic or, or trite or inappropriate in given circumstances. Good question. Anyone have a response for that question? Can I respond to that? Um, so basically, um, I I agree with the the sort of the the general sort of um, direction that that comment 
movement is saying that obviously you can um, ultimately do damage in an organisation by maybe not understanding enough detail of the model that you're using. However, going back to one of the models that um, I, I like, and I know that you like as well, Jason, the SCARF model, that as human beings that we want certainty. So, yes, I agree that we, we shouldn't um, use a model unless we really feel that we understand enough about it. However, we also have to recognise that in organisations they want a certain degree of certainty. And sometimes having a model, someone's, I guess it's how you pre-frame the model, um, you know, if you explain to people that you are giving them very much a top-level view and it's to help them um, sort of conceptually grasp um, something so that they can then take action from whatever it is that they're, they're doing, and provided you pre-frame it, I think it's okay. It's, it's like in coaching where coaching isn't therapy, but you are having a conversation that involves the psyche at, at a certain level. So you do have to be cognizant of when you may be going to the boundaries of your knowledge and the fact that, that you may therefore might be going into territory which could lead the client into a place where they're not going to benefit. Having said that, in coaching and, and with organisations as well, the client will, will take you where they're comfortable going. So if the client is going to a place based on a discussion around a model, the model is probably the catalyst to the conversation. Um, so you deal with the reality that you're presented with at the time. I don't know if that explains it very well, but that's kind of some sort of stream of conscious thinking based on what, what um, you and just said there. Right. And I think those models, even if people are skimming the surface of it, um, I see it as a way to help them build a mental bridge from where they're at now to where they want to get to and how much pop psychology is just enough. Um, for me, I think it's when people care enough about it to want to learn more. So um, SCARF in particular is very simple when you look at those, those five acronyms. And uh, I think when, especially the certainty one that you mentioned, when you can bring that up and uh, you don't have to be a neuroscientist to explain that um, people value certainty because they fear the unknown. And when I talk about that model, I talk about things like, imagine you were planning your vacation. How many people would leave tomorrow and fly halfway across the world with nowhere to stay? And some people might raise their hand and other people it might just scare the crap out of them and they'll say, no, I need like eight months to plan that vacation. And then we have a discussion around Great. That's exactly it. So you have some people that are fine to do things fast and loose and they don't really value certainty as much as other people, but how are we going to agree on how we're going to work together and satisfy my need for spontaneity and your need for certainty? So I think using the model to show people there is a thing that explains how they feel can be helpful um, for the people in the organizations. Now, the coaches or the facilitators should be able to have a deeper understanding for sure because you are going to get into a conversation that you can't get yourself out of. Any thoughts about that, Ewan? Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the, the conversation that um, you can't get yourself out of or the conversation where you, um, as a coach, get yourself into an uncomfortable situation, um, for me, that's, you know, that's... a 
that's an opportunity for development yourself as well as development of your client. Um, you know, when you coach in isolation and you don't have other coaching teachers around you uh, and you go in and you sort of use a model um, and you have no, no one to bounce that off, uh, you kind of, you're sort of out in isolation and you can get yourself into an unrecoverable situation using, you know, something, something inappropriately or using a single perspective when multiple perspectives are necessary. So from my standpoint, and I think, Ro, you probably have a similar experience with a coaching background, um, you know, my teachers, in other words, other coaches in the industry who I respect who have a much deeper training, much deeper knowledge, much deeper wisdom than I do, um, basically become my sounding board when I feel like I'm getting a client into a very difficult uh, place or an unrecoverable place where they're not moving forward or I'm getting myself into that situation. Um, you know, honestly, there is a certain edge that you need to move a, a person to uh, where there is some discomfort and the model or the set of models that you use um, are really about perhaps creating a context and also creating uh, a safe place for them to confront their own discomfort with a particular situation. You know, we, we have a tendency in, in many organizations, particularly those, and I'm going to introduce another uh, model here, those that are sitting in the amber orange space. Um, if you think about the spiral dynamics approach um, that uh, rejects roundly rejects uncertainty, roundly uh, rejects uh, art, roundly rejects anything that's, you know, not concrete and, and very clear and um, moving people from uh, who are in organizations like that to places where they inhabit more of a green uh, headed towards teal kind of a thinking space um, really requires that you, you know, you use some a set of models, a plethora of models that you understand and have some experience with and then back those up with a relationship that you have with other coaches who are more experienced, other practitioners who are more experienced who can provide you support when you get into difficult coaching situations. Right. I'm glad you brought up the uh, spiral dynamics model because that is something that I think is going to be gaining a lot more popularity given um, the reinventing organizations book by Frederick Leloux. And I think that's, you know, for that model to become more popular now, I think that's one of the things that Paul was referring to in his book. I mean, 15 years ago, it was thou shalt be agile when agile started. Then the methodology camps popped up and, oh, you're not doing scrum right. You're doing scrum, but that was the next wave of things. Then the agile mindset came in and said, you just have to develop the agile mindset and then growth mindset. And now I think there's people that latch on to that spiral dynamics model and say, you need to be teal. You have to be a teal organization. But with all the, the practitioners latching on to these ideas that aren't new, they've been around for, for decades the quote unquote normal people in organizations, they can't keep up with this pace of stuff. I mean, we spend so much time learning and reading about these and talking to other practitioners and learning all these mm -hmm. models and people in organizations are like, well, wait a minute, last year you said we just had to be agile. Now you tell us we have to be teal. 
So I'm wondering if the if change practitioners in general just get a little bit too far ahead mentally of where their clients are at. And it's that gap that becomes difficult to try and get organizations to shift into a more agile way of working. If I could jump in for a second. So I'm in, I'm in an interesting situation because uh, before coming to NPR, I was working in a more, you know, as an external consultant with federal clients. And now I'm working at NPR as an employee and that, you know, that has very interesting implications in a lot of different ways. First of all, it's a media organization. So um, a whole different culture right off the bat, uh, not to mention, you know, when you're actually an employee of the organization, it, it is necessary to be very, very sensitive um, you know, to what, you know, because basically typically change is not going to happen as quickly, you know, with you as a change agent working as an employee versus coming in as a transformation agent. So that's just another thing I'm I'm experiencing right now. I'd like to respond um, just to your comment first. Um, This, this sort of focus on you must be, you should be, and you got to otherwise, you know, quite frankly, that's not coaching. In my mind, coaching is is recognizing and honoring where an organization is and where the individuals in that organization are. Agreed. Um, and engaging them in a in in a conversation and di- dialogue that becomes personally transformational, and then by virtue of that personal transformation, they're able then to um, to engage in behaviors which help move their their colleagues or themselves and their colleagues and thus the organization to a different uh, level of being, you know, I, I'm definitely not one of those folks who goes in and, and, and sort of is, is approaching, um, approaching clients and saying, Oh, here's another model. or Here's another model. Here's another model. And it's a different model every year. You know, I, I don't think that serves, serves anyone well particularly given the fact that there is so much noise in a, in a typical corporate environment today. So the coaching stance and the coaching approach that I take uh, is, is very important in tempering that sort of idea that, you know, here I've got all of these knowledge, uh, all of this knowledge and all of these great models, but actually getting to apply them, I think, is the, is the, critical, the critical piece there. Right. Does anyone have a uh, final comment for this topic before we move on to the Agile and uh, OD topic? Can I just um, wholeheartedly agree with you in there that you should never, ever do a tool or a model to a client or enforce it on them. Um, You should always be in rapport with your client and actually in service of your client. It's actually, that's why you're there at the end of the day. So absolutely agree with you. Yes, I remember once at a, a conference I spoke at, um, I had a slide that said, uh, no one has ever said to me, thank you so much for using that model on me. Thank you so much for hitting me on the head with the Kanban stick or the Agile stick. And of course, the people who have the confirmation bias that Kanban is the best or Scrum is the best are like, but no, I don't do that because my model is the best, right? It's just this uh, interesting dynamic that... Um, uh, people, once they latch on to that belief, tra- trying to change their mind is going to be very difficult. So um, this actually, I think, is a good segue into combining Agile and OD. So what we talked about on the podcast is how Agile teams start off in a pilot and none of the structures around them are changed. So teams can operate 
under the radar, so to speak. There's lots of things that teams can do on their own until they bump up against the organizational boundaries. And some of those boundaries include um, structural hierarchy reporting. So we may have a cross-functional team, which is great, but we have a QA manager who gets their performance review based on finding bugs. And we get a development manager who gets their performance review based on not producing bugs. And this is where we get the bug versus feature debates and one group trying to make the other group look bad. And this poor cross-functional team stuck in the middle has to still adhere with all of the old world policies and now do all this agile stuff. So we talked a little bit about how there seems to be more of a trend in the agile community around deliberate structure changes and structure, meaning things like policies and hierarchy and systems such as performance reviews, financial models, how teams get funded, things like that. So uh, this seemed to be one of the top of mind topics for you guys. So does, did someone have a first question to kick off this conversation? This is Manji. The question um, Jason and I would ask is, um, how does one make some of those interfaces that the team has with the, with the other um, parts of the organization to also gradually adapt um, so that they're more conducive to, to supporting that team's agile way of doing things? Is there a certain strategy that is more successful than others. I mean, there are several ways to do that. I'm wondering if there are one or two more proven ways uh, that one can, one can learn about. Thank you. I find that the agile language at some point stops becoming as useful as it was in the beginning. So once you start to get outside of the team layer and you start to get into, you know, talking to a CFO who his primary concern, his or her primary concern is CapEx versus OpEx walking in with, well, you should just be agile and you should just adopt a mindset and you should just change your culture. He's like, well, no, I'm trying to run a company from a financial perspective. And they need more things like beyond budgeting and more how do we deal with our CapEx, OpEx problem. And these are things that the organizational development community has been faced with for decades. But from the agile community, we're still kind of learning that the more that we push Agile into organizations, the more we're causing so many ripple effects in HR and finance and risk management and auditing and all those types of areas that just being Agile is less useful than maybe pulling in some of the organizational change models that, that exist today. One, one thing I'll add is um, <clears throat> another interesting angle for me is, is there's historically been some interest in applying agile and lean techniques outside of software. So, so that makes for another interesting angle to view this because, you know, not only does that have all sorts of interesting impl implications for the work that we do, but it also, you know, sometimes, when I mention that to people, they sort of cringe because they're like, well, why, why would you possibly want to, you know, use these techniques outside of software? That's the only place where they can work. And I'm like, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, all sorts of organizations want to improve and do things better. So that, you know, I think that's another interesting angle that a lot of times in the agile community writ large, there is this sort of bias to say, oh, this is only for software. So uh, if, if I may add my two, two cents here, um, what I've done with my existing clients, and that's based on uh, some of the, the counseling and the coaching and the, um, 
the work that uh, Michael Spade and, Ace and Agile Coaching Institute have done that's uh, in his, uh, his forthcoming book, uh, which is Coaching the Agile Enterprise. I have basically uh, engaged in a designed alliance with the organization that gives me sort of an entry model. So I begin, you know, taking some of uh, Jürgen's thinking around uh, systems and, and complexity, identifying the system that I'm engaging with. And then as I go through that designed alliance process or designing the alliance process, being sensitive to how that system sees itself and looking for opportunities to reveal the system to itself uh, as, as part of the, um, the general activities in, in the designed alliance. So um, that seems to be working pretty effectively, uh, Jason, along with the, the idea of a strategic vision canvas um, and experiments that, uh, that we're engaging in. So I, I guess kind of the, the, the net of it is finding a way to talk about what you're going to do and perhaps finding some small wins that you can um, you can show early on to non-software engineering folks. Uh, you know, in my case, I work with the, the chief operating officer, the chief marketing officer, the um, VP of human resources, and the head of strategy for the organization. Um, and I have one-on-one coaching relationships, which I've developed with each of them to talk about specifically how lean thinking particularly might um, be appropriate to help them solve some of the challenges that they're experiencing. So, you know, uh, in, the, in the case of the head of strategy, what is a lean approach to strategic initiatives and, and portfolio management look like? Uh, in the case of the VP of Human Resources, what does uh, what is a, a hiring process look like that she can you know send out to her people managers that um, takes into consideration flow and you know um, uh, limiting uh, work in progress and that kind of thing um, and and with each of these folks there is um, I have a, a background as a management consultant so I was used to speaking about this before I was used to speaking about agile now or lean agile now I have. The, the agile mindset it, and the coaching of stance, it makes it much easier to bring what I learned uh, in the boardroom as a management consultant dealing with large scale change, you know, in the ProSci model years and years ago, because there's sort of much more of an organic and a humanistic approach to it. So what can you recommend for say um, scrum masters or people that are in the middle that, want to be able to have those conversations when the stance of the organization is we're bringing in agile because it's going to help our teams deliver stuff faster. And they're, they're, they might not be aware of the ripple effects that, that it will cause. And what's, what do you see as an entry point into having conversations outside of IT that people can use to help them understand right. how their whole organizational system will be affected? So, uh, I mean, I, I, when you're dealing with uh, management and leadership, the key focus should be on a challenge that they're facing today. Now, they, you know, some organizations culturally, management leadership are very reactive. So when they see a uh, what they consider to be a problem, they want to quote unquote fix it. So they focus in on that problem rather than looking at the whole system. If you can have a conversation about that problem and perhaps use, you know, 
any one of the, the number of, of change models to help create some space for them to think more systemically about that problem. That is something that I've seen work pretty successful, uh, successfully and, and has been, for me, certainly quite effective in opening the door to have a conversation about, you know, maybe we should think about this in terms of what outcome we're trying to create rather than what problem we're trying to fix so we can look at the whole system as opposed to looking at just, you know, a little piece of, of the puzzle. Um, I'll give you an example. Right now, working with the engineering organization or the product organization, um, the engineering folks came to me and said, look, you know, we, we're thinking about restructuring. What do we do? And the conversation then was, well, what problem are you trying to solve? Well, our engineering managers feel like they're not contributing to the, uh, the product the way that they used to under this whole agile uh, approach that we're taking. So, okay, um, what do we do next? Uh, how do we take the next step as engineers? Uh, and the, the recommendation there is to look at the, the, the challenge a lot more broadly and sort of say, what, what outcome are you trying to, are you trying to achieve? Because invariably, you know, going back to complexity and, and systems thinking, if you optimize one component or one part of the system, um, you tend to suboptimize the whole system. And uh, that, you know, that realization or that awareness, bringing that into the organization basically helped us um, prioritize which areas we needed to go to first and start having a conversation about first. Do you see it as an either or proposition sometimes where organizations they ask for transformation they think they want transformation once they start doing it they realize oh we really just want some process improvement and we really want local optimization our system is not at a state where we could transform but we could get some incremental gains from improving our processes when i talk to organizations it's also having conversations around specifically what do we not want to change or what do we think is just right. too hard. And sometimes right. it's, uh, they have to live with agile through the, through all of their ceremonies that happen throughout the year. So they really don't know what those ripple effects are until they go through their performance reviews and until they go through their annual budgeting process and until they go through their tax mm -hmm. audit and their compliance and all those other types of things. Then once they've lived through it, and stumbled through it by trying to leanify it or agilify it, if you will, then they're like, okay, now I get the impact. I don't want to go there. I just want to optimize the teams to produce stuff. Uh, Jason, I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, the, any kind of a transformation is a journey. And the, the, I, I think the conceit of a coach who comes in or the conceit of a consultant who comes in um, basically sort of says, okay, well, if you listen to me, it's going, everything's going to be amazing. So you sort of focused more on your own end, uh, your own end result than, than on meeting the organization where it is. In most cases, you're quite right. Organizations don't have a sense of what going down the rabbit hole might, uh, might lead them to. But that's, that's where we as coaches and as change practitioners need to spend some time educating on the importance and value of experimentation and the idea of uh, co-creation of shared understanding of how things impact the organization rather than, you know, having 
having a small group of folks uh, basically engage in a top-down uh, change management effort. Yeah, that was my point. I had an interesting conversation recently where um, I won't name the agency, but a particular federal agency is um, talking about experimenting with Agile. And so, you know, someone suggested that I talk to them over drinks. And um, based on that short conversation, it was pretty clear that they had no intention of bringing in coaches. (laughs) They basically were just sending people for training and then expecting everything to work. So I think you know, I think that's a common anti-pattern, unfortunately. And so, you know, sadly, I think a lot of organizations just fundamentally set themselves up for failure because they just sort of expect this magic to happen. And they look at Scrum, for instance, and go, oh, that's easy. But when, of course, we all know it's fundamentally exceedingly disruptive. So, you know, I just, I just see that way too often. <laughs> yes, everything looks easy from the outside till you start doing it. And then it's the... Uh metaphorical frying pan to the head effect. Oops, this is way harder than we thought. (laughs) So we have time for one more comment before we wrap up. Um, uh, Ro, did you have anything to add, given that most of us on the call come from an agile background and you're coming from more the the, the pure coaching and OD side? So yeah, I'm very much behind the curve in terms of agile. Obviously, having done the lean change course I'm familiar with a lot of the tools in lean and I don't know if they're the same in agile certainly um, I listened to a webinar recently on Prince 2 and agile being incorporated Um, and again it seemed familiar Um, I guess for me it's sort of just building on the comments that have been made so far the transformation of anything whether it's an organization whether it's personal transformation requires that you move from one place to another and it's not you know if you apply these tools here tick 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 you're going to be suddenly transformed into something completely different and it's it is that experimentation that you was talking about that you have to go through the process and, and as you were saying that learning phase of actually okay well what don't you want because understanding what you don't want is almost as important as understanding what we do want. And that's why experimentation in a planned way, in a way that you do have some control over, admittedly, you don't know what's going to happen as a result of those experiments, but you've got a framework that you can actually use to to create those or co-create those experiments. Um, And I think the challenge, whether you're an agile coach, whether you're an OD person, whether you're a coach, whatever it is, working with individuals, working with organizations, is that they just want things fixed. You know, they want you to go in, press a button, and oh, look, miraculously, it's fixed. And unfortunately, when you, as you, as, as it came out on the interview with Paul, human beings are uniquely unique. <laughs> And when they work in an organization, they're even more uniquely unique. Um, so you can't just apply a method, apply tools, and you're going to get the same results every time because no two cultures are the same. And that's agile. The word implies that you, you've got to have that nimbleness of, of foot. Um, so for me, it's, it's that sort of connecting into um, that flexibility and adaptability. So I don't know if that answered the question, but again, it sort of triggered thoughts in my head. (laughs) That's a great final comment. So we will leave it at that for now. 
And uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to be on the call today. And again, for anyone listening, if you didn't have a chance to listen to the first episode of the podcast with Paul Gibbons, have a listen to that and then come back. And well, I guess you've already listened to this one, so it's too late. But this is something that we'll continue doing to bring people in from the agile, the organizational development and the change space so we can figure out how we can help organizations move forward in today's uh, rapidly changing world. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, you can look forward to the next Lean Change Management podcast. Thank you.